Welcome to On Culture. On this podcast, we talk about culture and faith and the world and our place in it. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our work and explore all of our content on our website, theembassy.substack.com. Here's Mike. Hey, everybody. Uh, I've been traveling, been on vacation, been to Nepal to do some training uh, there. And uh, partly as a result of that, and partly as a result of the post uh, uh, this past week on uh, the death penalty, uh, this, this uh, on culture is going to be a little different. I'm going to be flying solo. And uh, I thought I would start with just reading uh, the post and, uh, and then having some comments uh, at the end of that. Uh, so I'm just going to dive right in and, and read the post. Some of you uh, paid subscribers, you know, uh, probably were able to read it, but some uh, perhaps were not. Uh, and so let's just start with the post and then uh, we'll just have a little uh, co- few comments uh, after uh, I'm done reading it. Here we go. As I write this in the middle of August, a jury is sifting through arguments, evidence and testimony that will determine the fate of Nicholas Cruz. Mr. Cruz, 23, pled guilty to murder charges stemming from the shooting at his former high school in Parkland, Florida in February of 2018. That Mr. Cruz is guilty of 17 counts of murder, among other charges, is not in doubt. He has pled guilty and given a public apology. Quote, I am very sorry for what I did, and I have to live with it every day. And if I were to get a second chance, I would do everything in my power to try to help others. Close quote. He is not on trial for the crimes committed that day. He is on trial to determine one thing. Will he spend the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole, or will he be executed? Some of the victims' families want him executed. That is one reason the state moved forward with this trial. Some do not. I have no idea what I would be thinking or feeling in their place. I was recently in the jury pool for a very similar trial. A Missouri man, a former police officer, had admitted to killing two people and had fired at police officers in his attempt to escape. Nobody disputed what happened, and he had been found guilty. Because of a legal technicality, his original sentencing was deemed invalid, and a new trial with a new jury a couple of years later was needed. I was part of the initial jury pool of 500. After a process that involved a lengthy questionnaire and a week of jury selection, I was in the group of about 60 potential jurors remaining. The person whose jury number was just under mine was the last juror called. I'm not sure if I would have been selected or skipped over, but I'm glad I wasn't selected. I have a complicated view of the death penalty. The articulation of this view on the lengthy survey apparently did not disqualify me for jury service. Most people are familiar with the injunction against murder in the Ten Commandments. The Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not murder. That's pretty clear. That is a part of the moral code that Christians and Jews and Muslims would all agree with. That a Christian is against murder and that murder violates the Judeo-Christian law isn't a surprise to most, but it can be a surprise to some that before the Mosaic law was given, the penalty for murder had already been communicated. Genesis 9, 5 and 6 says, And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. Now that's meant to show the horrible crime of homicide for what it is, something so deeply wrong that there's no real justice that doesn't involve the death of the murderer. It is a crime against God as well as a person. An image bearer is killed, and the image of God is defaced in the killer. That seems cut and dried. If someone is guilty of murder, they should face the death penalty. 
that's not part of the Mosaic Code that applied only to the administration of ancient Israel. This declaration precedes Moses by many centuries. This biblical command for the administration of public justice is still valid. But in this real and fallen world, it can seem more complicated than that. That is what I put on my survey anyway. The death penalty is an appropriate sentence. There may be times when it's the most appropriate sentence, but there's often injustice in how it is applied. There are times when the death penalty would be an injustice because the defendant is innocent or received an inadequate defense. We know in the real world, poor people get the death penalty relatively often. People with means almost never do. And I would have great difficulty imposing the death penalty if there was any doubt as to the defendant's guilt. But in the case I was in the jury pool for, and in the case of Nicholas Cruz, there isn't any question about guilt or innocence. They both have excellent legal representation. So I'm not sure where the correct practical application lies here. My faith, even a deep understanding of theology, whether I have it or not, does not give me every answer to every question. My faith gives me relative certainty about a pretty small number of issues. What do I think of the Bible? Who is God? What about Jesus? How can I know God? What does, in broad terms, following him look like? What story are we in and how does it end? These relatively few faith commitments, though, are a touchstone for many, many other beliefs and commitments. But for many questions beyond these, we just may not know. We may have to live with not knowing. Does the Bible tell us what a Christian should think about the case of Nicholas Cruz? I'm not sure it does with certainty in every area. But the most difficult question for people of faith related to people who have committed horrible crimes is, how should we think of them as people? What does justice demand? What does love demand? What should be in my heart? This biblical command is not a command for me to avenge or bring justice. It is for society to address the crime of murder. So how should I, as an individual, respond? Many years ago, my wife and I watched A Dead Man Walking, a movie loosely based on an actual case of a horrible murder of two young people in Louisiana and the relationship between the convicted murderer on death row and the nun who, who ministered to him. The murderer is played by Sean Penn and the nun by Susan Sarandon. It's an intense, beautiful, and violent movie that unsparingly depicts the pain of a family who wants to let their pain go, a family who demands the murderer be put to death, the sister who helps the murderer grapple with the reality of his deeds, and a killer who finally admits the truth and finds some redemption on the way to his execution. It honestly grappled with the reality of murder and the death penalty. After the movie, we went to dinner and ran into a couple from our church. We didn't know that one of them was related to a murder victim. Her response to the movie we had just seen was surprising because we weren't aware of her situation and intense. Let's just say, say she was in favor of the death penalty. Full stop. The administration of public justice is one thing, and the enactment of justice in my heart toward a person who has committed a great wrong is another. Forgiveness is commanded, but it's commanded individually. My forgiveness is independent of the administration of justice by the state, and it is not my place to forgive the killer of another's child. Forgiveness just doesn't work that way. I can't grant divine absolution, and I can't forgive the wrong another has experienced. But I shouldn't celebrate the death of another, even an, uh, an obviously guilty person. Those old, of, uh, uh, old enough to remember the execution of Ted Bundy, remember it was an occasion of full-scale tailgating celebration. Crowds gathered outside the prison for the execution, many with signs. 
One said Tuesday is Friday. Another said burn, Bundy, burn. Another said buckle up, Ted. It's the law. It's difficult to understand how, how are we to think of Ted Bundy, even as he apparently expressed great remorse and turned to God while on death row, not unlike Sean Penn, John Penn's character in Dead Man Walking. Just as it is difficult to understand how to think of a remorseful Nicholas Cruz or of the defendant in the case I was involved in. But it isn't a celebration of anything. I have to reject the celebration of this particular enactment of public justice, however appropriate, and I have to reject the absolutist moralizing against the death penalty. I don't know, given everything, that we have certainty on this one. Murder is a tragedy. An execution is another tragedy. It may be the right and appropriate tragedy, but it's still a tragedy. So that's the article, uh, and I just probably want to have a few um, thoughts uh, and reflection uh, based on you know what I've said there. And, I think the first is God's, uh, God's direction to us, God's design for us in the world, and uh, his definition of the good and what's just is often surprising uh, to us. Uh, I don't know that we think of human life in such a way that uh, the taking of it is such a, uh, a heinous thing that there's only one appropriate penalty uh, in, in the perfect world. Uh, of course, in a perfect world, uh, human life wouldn't be taken. Um, but it's a serious matter, and I think, um, you know, we should probably have pause to think about what, why God, the basis for God's valuing of life, and not just for the death penalty or for other cases of life and death, but do I value everyone uh, as an image bearer, as someone of uh, near infinite value to me, that the defacing of that person uh, would be such a huge wrong. Uh, that, uh, you know, it, such a penalty would be demanded. Uh, and again, apart from the death penalty, do I view other people, uh, it, you know, the stranger around, halfway around the world, do, do I view them uh, through that lens as well? Um, because I think I should, because God does. Um, so that's one point of reflection for me. Another point of reflection for me is just the enactment of public justice is different from what I am called to do in my heart. Uh, you know, that I'm called to turn the other cheek and I'm called to forgive, but that doesn't mean that justice isn't to be enacted uh, by the state uh, as a you know, delegation of God's authority. Uh, we see that in Romans 13 and in a number of other places uh, as well, that, uh, and that the enactment of public justice doesn't get me, give me a free pass from having grace and forgiveness uh, for uh, everyone. Uh, including, you know, um, the murderer and the families uh, uh, of the murderer as well. Um, it, it doesn't prevent me from recognizing the tragedy of that situation. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I think there's a difference that we don't always draw between, you know, the, the enactment of public justice being one thing, but what God calls me in my heart to do to be something else. Uh, and I think that's something we don't always think of as well. And a third point of reflection is, you know, we live in a fallen world and justice is never done completely and fully and rightly. And in that uh, world, what does justice look like? Uh, and as you see, I struggle with that uh, in the case of the death penalty, where uh, all other things being equal, it's the appropriate penalty biblically. But in the real world, things are often not equal. Uh, and 
you know, what do we do with that? Um, so those are just some points of reflection on this. Um, you know, I hope to be back uh, next time with, uh, with a partner and uh, discussing perhaps something a little less uh, heavy <laughs> uh, next time. Uh, but until then, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, talking to you, and uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Culture, a podcast of the Embassy Newsletter. Have a question? Send it to theembassy at substack.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.